Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. This is the Week 13 Roundup Review Edition. Yes, I know. I won't sugarcoat it. Week 13 was an abysmal week of NFL football. But guess what? We watch the games, so you don't have to. Yes, that's our pitch. Hopefully, many of you have made your fantasy playoffs. I know many of you will be starting those next week. We'll be doing this show throughout week 16 so be sure to listen along in case you many miss any action miss any performances we're here to cover them for you also want to say we are still doing episodes on tuesday thursday and friday each and every week so stick around for those as well all right let's get into it and what we hoped was the best game of sunday the baltimore ravens beat the 49ers at home 20 to 17 that brings the ravens to 10 and 2 which equals the 49ers being 10-2. and two. Roto Pat designated this game for himself. <laughs> Selfish dog he is. Hey, I make the schedule in the summer before I even know yeah, any of the records. Sure. Yeah. yeah, you just <laughs> predicted that both teams would be 10-2 and two at the end of this game. All aboard had, the 49ers bandwagon in the summer. That was you, Pat. No, no, Harvey. I was trying to be selfless. I thought the 49ers you know, would be like 4-6, and six, and this would just be a dud of a game. <laughs> um. Well, I would say that whether – I'm not going to say ruin this game – but it made it a little less entertaining. Let's first start on the Ravens' side. Uh, Lamar Jackson, only 105 passing yards, 14 of 23, had a touchdown in the air. He did add, though, 101 rushing yards and a touchdown on the ground. You know, it seems like often we talk about this year, well, this is the toughest test that Lamar Jackson is going to face. We talked about that with the Patriots. He overcame it. Did he really overcome it today against his 49ers defense as well? He did, because you know he he accepted what the conditions were, and you know you said you said the conditions kind of ruined the game. Uh, Lamar Jackson actually kind of agreed with you. He admitted after the game that it had him like all out of sorts as a passer, um, but you know he as he does now, uh, if he's not having a good day through the air, he compensates on the ground. It's not like a matter of if he might compensate on the ground; it's that he will compensate on the ground. And yeah, had his fourth hundred yard rushing performance of the year, you know, which is just unreal for a quarterback. And it was not working passing. He only targeted receivers six times, only had three completions to wide receivers. Uh, Marquise Brown, one catch for one yard. So, yeah, not a great day passing. But the conditions uh, were just never right for it. The, the heavy rain was in and out basically the entire game. And and just kind of you know ultimately didn't need to. It's just like it's become automatic where if he or the Ravens need a play, he can provide it with his legs. And the game, despite being close and you know title, I just never really felt in doubt. Um, Lamar, he's just he's just he's doing things as a runner that his running is one of the most special traits we've yeah. seen in the NFL at any position in recent years. It's rare, and, and I think we're kind of getting used to it because we see something where he makes a defensive back or a linebacker bite inside then cut outside on a weekly basis. But what he's doing is rare. We don't see it very often. This is the first time I think you and I can say we've seen it since, like, Terrell Pryor, since uh, Michael Vick. and It's, it's really since Michael Vick. But, yeah, and, I mean, and, and, it's, and it's even on a more consistent basis right now with Lamar Jackson. And, like, I went back and watched early career Michael Vick stuff, 
And those plays were, a lot of them were like outside of structure on scrambles and those things. Lamar's doing this on design runs, on, on ones that he's pulling or letting the running back take the ball. It's, it's on design reads. And he's just creating monstrous gains. I mean, today, not so much, right? Like a long throw of 20 yards, a long run of 14. But he can even make those uh, look special. You mentioned that receiving game wasn't that big. Mark Andrews had 50 yards and a touchdown. Hayden Hurst had 21 yards. And Pat, like this game that sped along, could have even been more of a win for the Ravens if Lamar didn't fumble on one of his longest carries of the game down in the 49ers territory. Yeah, and even that helped speak to how special this season has been because I believe it was his first loss fumble. And if you have a dual threat mobile court, hopefully that stat is correct, but I think I believe it is. this is first. This first lost fumble of the season, and if it's week 13 and you're a dual-threat quarterback and that's your first fumble of the year, I mean, that's just, like, insane, and that's just, like, truly special. You know, from a dual-threat talent, you'd accept not almost a weekly fumble, but, I mean, you would accept fumbles as, you know, kind of part of the thing, part of the part of the process, and the fact that he's not even doing that, I mean, he's just, he's just a different kind of dude. Mark Ingram did have 15 carries for 59 yards. I do want to mention, Pat, because I criticized Matt Nagy for this, earlier in the season that like with 30 something seconds left on the clock and a third and 12 scenario rather than like try to run an extra play uh Ravens head coach wanted to then just run down the clock to like three seconds left and instead of trying to make it like a 45 yard field goal elected to go for a 49 yard field goal I know having Justin Tucker is much better than whatever scenario the Bears are in <laughs> kicking-wise. But it still was like a bit of an odd outcome to me to just honestly settle for a 49-yarder. I know it hit, and I know they won because of it. But I feel like with how much Harbaugh has like gone for it with aggression this year in fourth down scenarios, and they went for another one that they failed today, that that was a little bit soft, if I might say you definitely answered your own question. I mean, they have like the kicking equivalent of a nuclear weapon and Justin Ducker. And yeah, it's hard to have that much faith in any kicker. But I mean, we just know from like a decade of seeing this now that you can have that much faith in Justin Tucker and the weather had settled enough to a point where, you know, a 49 yard field goal from Justin Tucker really is just like an extra point. And yeah, I question, we saw something similar happen in the chargers game. There we question it a lot more, uh, but when it's the Ravens and Justin Tucker, it might not be aesthetically pleasing. But, uh, yeah, it, I, I think you can do that when you have Justin Tucker yeah. as your kicker. And it was good from, like, 63 yards. So yeah, who, you know, who so. might say anything? All right, <laughs> let's, we haven't talked about the 49ers at all. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo was very efficient. 15 of 21, 165, and a touchdown. Uh, it wasn't Tevin Coleman who did anything on the ground. In fact, he just had five as carries usual. for six yards. Yeah. Instead, it was Raheem Mostert. 19 carries, 146 yards, and a touchdown. Pat, like, we expect even when Tevin Coleman doesn't have a great game that he still gets, like, 12 touches. That wasn't the case here. And, like, again, this just frustrates people as we head into the fantasy playoffs with, with which member of the backfield we can count on. And in this game, it was Raheem Mostert. And, yeah, I think the takeaway is that it's not going to be Tevin Coleman going forward because, you know, he's one of the best run design offense, designed run offenses in the NFL. You know, maybe one of the best designed running offenses we've seen in years. And you plug in Raheem Mostert, it's a big play. Jeff Wilson comes in, contributes a big play every week. Matt Breida contributes a big play every week. And the only person who hasn't been doing it 
is, you know, supposedly Mr. Big Play himself, Tevin Coleman, uh, you know, since he had his four touchdown game in week eight, he's had 49 carries and he's averaging 2.48 yards uh, per carry. He has 122 total rushing yards since then, you know, just, just unacceptably bad, really. And got off to another slow start today. Raheem Moster came in, Mostert, I still don't know how we've settled on his pronunciation, and just immediately ripping chunk gains, and Kyle Shanahan did not look back. And you know, Matt Breida seemed close to playing this week, and I think he'll probably be back next week. And I just think, you know, Raheem, Tevin Coleman did the same thing in Atlanta, had multiple opportunities to kind of like run away with the Falcons backfield. Uh, he never did. It was there for the taking, you know, it's in a truly exceptional, exceptional setup this year and he didn't do it. And it just, yeah, it looks like the Tevin Coleman kind of RB two experiment is over in fantasy. How Jimmy Garoppolo look? Like I mentioned, 165 yards, a passing touchdown. That passing touchdown went to Debo Samuel, who made a contest catch near the goal line. Kendrick Bourne added 42 yards of his own. Emmanuel Sanders, 41 yards. Again, just like the Ravens weren't really, able to get a passing game going neither really did the 49ers he looked jimmy looked a little frenetic earlier kind of like kind of like the scared dancing jimmy we've seen a few times recently but he did settle down the touchdown was a nice big play but uh as much as you know i kind of i wanted to like give props to jimmy for a good throw to debo samuel for some rugged uh after the catch uh yardage uh it was really kind of on marcus peters just making a catastrophic mistake and poor timing from Marcus Peters, uh, poor tackling and basically just uh, kind of matadoring Debo Samuel into the end zone. Just not a good play from Marcus Peters, who has made a number of big uh, good plays since arriving in Baltimore. But yeah, if Marcus Peters hadn't made this one big mistake, it might have been a pretty empty day for Jimmy Garoppolo, who has kind of got some like early season. Uh, Kirk Cousins going on. He has 41 total attempts over his past two games, uh, only 29 completions. And this is two different kind of games. One was a blowout last week for the 49ers. And then this week, a real close game. So, you know, we've seen some, we had seen some concerning play from Jimmy Garoppolo lately, you know, maybe uh, against teams that aren't the Cardinals, maybe Kyle Shanahan is kind of reining in his passing attack again. Cause yeah, it's been a very low, even with Tevin Coleman doing nothing, it's been a very low volume passing attack the past two weeks. And I have no fear of the 49ers fan base, so I'll say it, Pat. They were very fortunate of multiple pass interference calls or non-calls today, too. Like, there was one on a fourth down that was an awful throw by Jimmy Garoppolo, like two yards behind his receiver, that for some reason the officials decided to call pass interference, even though it was like an uncatchable <laughs> pass. And then, like, on the next series, Lamar Jackson threw it down the field to Mark Andrews, and a safety clearly went over like the back yes. shoulder of Andrews to go up and play the football. And yes, he hit the football, but you can't play through the back of a receiver. And that's exactly what he did. And those were like within five minutes of each other. And it was awful. And despite both of those, and despite again, a fumble in the opposing team's territory, the Ravens still win and, and come out victorious. They did. Yeah. Mark Andrews almost got broken in half on that play. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the pass interference calls this year, Josh, uh, have been inconsistent. Let's just, uh, let's just leave it at and that. And it's so weird because, like, we had three overturned today at least. And, I know. Like, so hadn't the, the had three overturns, changed. like, all season long. <laughs> I mean, at least be consistent with something. And now that we've hit week 13, they're being inconsistent once again. It's wild. 
It's absolutely yeah. It's kind of like it's kind of like baseball mysteriously just dejuicing and like juicing the ball at will, and it's like never making a public announcement. Can can I yeah. ask about this? I know this is a football podcast, but I know nothing about baseball. How do you juice a baseball? Because I know a lot of baseball purists have talked about that or did talk about that during the baseball season this year. I mean, you can like change the composition of a baseball okay by like one or two percent and then it'll go like five to ten percent farther it wasn't quite that dramatic but you can make like extremely subtle changes to a baseball and it'll go like much farther so things you know that aren't really even like perceptible to a player or even sometimes statistics quite at first yeah you you could it's very easy to change how far a baseball goes here I was thinking that they like went into Jose Canseco's like medicine cabinet, took out a syringe, no, and not, just stuck yeah. it in there. Well, they're not like yeah, they're not like corking the balls, or it's just very easy. Uh, a ball is very tightly wound. It's a very uh, it's called, almost like the, the human brain. It's very intricate, and one minor change can have very big effects. All right, uh, the other game you had uh, wasn't expected to be such a great contest. The Cincinnati Bengals did get their first win of the season, though. Pat, you got to watch it. You got to witness it. A 22-6 to victory at home against the New York Jets. A Jets team that dominated the Raiders last week, then get dominated today. Let's talk about the Bengals first, because I don't think we've done that at all this season. Andy Dalton returns after sitting for multiple weeks. He has the pressure off his shoulders because no starting quarterback in the league wants to get benched. He did, whatever. Then he comes in, throws for 243 yards, and a touchdown. How'd the Bengals win this one? Because the Jets' defense is one like we kind of had respect for for most most, most of the season. Yeah, you said I witnessed this one. That's kind of true. Uh, I was kind of like sleepwalking through it a bit, like the Jets. Uh, it's like the definition of a game. Like uh, you know, things were happening in this game. Uh, what they were, not quite clear. Um, really, what it was was the Jets shooting themselves in the foot over and over again and being just completely atrocious on offense, penalties, horrible protection, no big plays, and just making it easy for the Bengals. And like you said, Andy Dalton didn't wasn't a great stat line to end the game, but he did spark Auden Tate to his biggest game since Dalton's last start. Uh, he did keep uh, Tyler Boyd cooking. Tyler Boyd now has at least five catches for 55 yards in five of his past six games. kind of quietly reestablished his wide receiver three floor and Andy Dalton only got the one touchdown, but he had two just truly horrendous drops, one by Tyler uh-huh. Eifert, one by C.J. Uzuma. He should have had at least two touchdowns and probably three. It would have looked a lot better if he had had two or three scores in the box score. And, yeah, I mean, just Andy Dalton was efficient, avoided mistakes in the passing game. Uh, the Jets, you know, have a great run defense. They mostly eliminated Joe Mixon, though they did stay with their recent, uh, like, renewed commitment to Joe Mixon at 19 carries tied for a second most of the year. But, you know, really this, the Bengals were never under any pressure in this game. So they could kind of take it easy and they did and they had, had enough scoring drives and uh, the Jets did not. It was a truly atrocious performance from the Jets. Joe Mixon did have 44 yards on the ground and a score. Um, okay. On the Jets side, Sam Darnold, 28 of 48, I believe uh, 239 yards took four sacks What's the deal, Pat? Because he had been in a little streak of playing quite well. I mean, Carlos Dunlap uh, kind of like took over the game for the Bengals for for a while, for a long stretch. And I, you know, I tweeted. Uh, you, you love when I share my tweets, right, Josh? What I love um, even more is when you say <laughs> I tweeted, then then say it. You know what? Like, you know, I wouldn't have known if you tweeted or not if you didn't tell me if you tweeted or well, not. Well, you it know, could there's just be a, a lot statement of right now. 
that you're There's saying. There's a lot of Roto World super fans out there who probably both follow me on Twitter and listen to the podcast. You know, I don't yeah. want to be just like uh, recycling my own material, like yeah, uh, that's a dark you know, pretending that's not what I'm doing. Um, I tweeted though that Sam Darnold's ghosts have logged on, and uh, that didn't really happen. He kind of like kept his composure. He was this. You know, the Jets line was this. I mean, this has been a theme. Truly atrocious, and he didn't really fold under the pressure like he has many times this season, but. Just no time, like I said, always under pressure, lots of Jets penalties, and just couldn't get any big plays in the passing game. That's despite the fact that Robbie Anderson had a 100-yard game. Uh, he's gone over 85 yards now in back-to-back games. But the Jets, just endless mistakes and uh, no big plays. Uh, Le'Veon Bell had a long rush of seven yards. Uh, he had a 22-yard run, but it was called back by a Jets penalty. And it was just that kind of – the only impact the Jets made on the game – was negative just nothing no positive plays no big plays it's funny when Andy Dalton was once again named the starter one I didn't understand it from like a win-loss perspective and it is kind of funny that well when you you got the tank locked down you can go back to Andy Dalton but Pat the tank might not have been locked down but today you had the Bengals winning you had the Dolphins winning and you had the Redskins winning. So it was the trifecta of the worst teams in the NFL all winning games today. So it didn't It was matter. a bad day for the process. The a real bad day for the process. The worst day in the process's history. The Washington Redskins get another win in the 2019 season. Improving to three. Yay. Uh, beating the Carolina Panthers in Carolina. 29-21. to 21. Panthers dropped to five and seven. Hayden Winks, this is a low point for the Panthers season. Started off nice. Two touchdown drives. One to Curtis Samuel, one to DJ Moore. But on the game, Kyle Allen finishes 27 of 46, 278, two touchdowns and an interception. But more importantly, he just left a lot of plays on the field, looked absolutely shook after those first two drives, and just didn't look like he belonged like an NFL starter on the field. Yeah, that's exactly right. The, there's a couple plays that were really dramatically bad. The first one was uh, a Curtis Samuel deep target. Of course, Samuel got open deep, and then Allen just missed him by like a couple inches. That would have been a long touchdown. Curtis Samuel also had a drop by himself. And then with the game on the line, fourth down, Kyle Allen decides to get off his first read, like you noted, and it was just a disaster. They they couldn't do anything. Christian McCaffrey was limited to just over 100 yards, which is a lot lower than his typical game. Um, but yeah, just Allen, just, he's just not it. He's just not it. Um, he did have a rushing touchdown to go along with it. Um, but this is also a game that Christian McCaffrey couldn't get anything going. Like 14 carries, 44 yards on the ground, uh, seven receptions, 58 yards in the air. I, I feel like I talk about Kyle Allen every week, but like it's just the same thing. He's very fine as a backup quarterback in the NFL. Any implication that he can possibly be more is incorrect. Because as we talked about, the first two drives were great. I'm not going to say they were scripted, but so many of them went off of those primary reads and he was able to hit his back foot and get rid of the football and like half field diagnosing the defense. Yet today, and it's been the case at the start when he was starting the season versus now at the end, he's Colin is just dropping his eyes under pressure. He's compounding pressure. He's not operating inside the structure of the pocket and it's just making everything worse. And we were talking before this, like the Panthers have a lot of talent offensively. And just to put up this amount of points on a bad Washington Redskins team, it's like it's time to blow it all up offensively and defensively, as we'll get to in a moment. Yeah, definitely. One thing to note, Greg Olson left with a 
helmet to helmet hit. Uh, looks like a concussion. So consider him questionable moving forward. That would help Curtis Samuel's floor a little bit. I know that's kind of bold to say, but the Panthers are dropping back so many times. That's largely because they're trailing in games. So Kyle Allen's forced to drop back a lot. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a disaster. And then on defense, it was it was literally just as bad. Uh, DJ Moore did have 75 yards and a touchdown. Curtis Samuel, 65 yards and a score. Let's talk about that Redskins offense. I mentioned how bad the Panthers were defensively as well. And so much of it just comes in the running game. Darius Geis, 10 carries, 129 yards and two touchdowns, including a long run of 60. Adrian Peterson, 13 carries, 99 yards, a long run of 22 yards and a score. Um, Darius Geis was an absolute superstar in this game. Ran over multiple defenders on this awesome score. Uh, it is just awful when a defense in the NFL can't stop the run. They have no chance of winning, and that was absolutely the case here for the Panthers today. Yeah, it really was. Darius Geis is really impressive. Um, he, I, I still don't think he's fully healthy. Just like he has so many leg injuries, but he's still so strong. He has just enough wiggle to, to get open in space. And he's just, a, he's just a joy to watch right now. I still don't think they're going to give him that many carries down the stretch just because he is coming off this in, injury. But he's been super explosive. Um, Adrian Peterson also looks good. Carolina had a couple injuries um, on the defensive line again today. So a bad defensive line could even get worse against the run um, moving forward. But yeah, Dwayne Haskins didn't even have to do anything as a passer. Um, Terry McLaurin was shut out, basically. And it was just Darius guys. Adrian Peterson rotating in and out of the game just for chunk play after chunk play. If your defensive minded head coach constructs a new defense in 2019 and can't even stop the run. And in fact, looks like one of the worst defenses across the league for stretches of the season. Uh, it's time to go. It's, it's time yes. for something new, obviously both in Washington and in Carolina. All right. The other game you had was the Los Angeles Rams against the Arizona Cardinals. A major bounce back spot a lot of us expected for the Rams heading into this one, and that was absolutely the case. This was an awful performance by the Cardinals. Uh, the Rams finally win it 34-7. to They do improve to 7-5 and on the season. Uh, let's look at Jared Goff's day. 32-43, 424, two touchdowns. The Cardinals' defense is bad. Jared Goff, Sean McVay, and company took advantage of that. How'd they do it? Well, I think it was just the Cardinals were, like, just not guarding receivers or tight ends. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just, like... That's not good. I mean, next... Like, I'm sure when you guys watch this game, like, literally, they were just wide open all day long. I'm not sure if that was McVay doing something different or if that was just the Cardinals being the Cardinals. But even if, even if that was the case, it that's still a good sign for Jared Goff to get back into a rhythm. He wasn't under pressure at all. He was getting the ball out pretty quick. And Robert Woods finished with 19 targets. Jeez. He... Yeah, he joins Tyreek Hill as the only receiver to have 19 targets this season. He's the he's the new number one receiver right now. Um, Cooper Cup's a close second, and then Brandon Cooks is just not involved in the offense right now. Isn't that what it comes down to? Is just like if there's disruption versus if, if there's not for Jared Goff, and like the top half of defenses can disrupt him, the bottom half can't, and when you can't, then this offense gets into a flow, it gets into a rhythm. You can't jam the corner or the, jam the receivers. You can't get them off balance. You can't get them outside of structure. And then, boom, they just run the offense perfectly. And you mentioned it. 13 receptions, 172 yards for Robert Woods. No touchdowns. But Tyler Higby even has a big game without Gerald Everett. Seven receptions, 170 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, go down the list. And everyone did it. Even Todd Gurley. 
19 carries, 95 yards, and a score. Yeah, Todd Gurley, he looks okay. He's just getting whatever is given to him. That's the, probably the best way I can explain it. He's not doing anything more, nothing less. Um, the 19 carries was a positive sign. He still hasn't cracked 100 yards yet on the season, um, but that may be coming down the stretch. I think Gurley's going to continue getting bigger workloads um, with the Rams pretty desperate for playmakers right now. And yeah, I, I don't think this is the time to overreact to the Rams. It is still the Cardinals, um, but it's definitely encouraging from where they were just a week ago. Okay, Cardinals side. I, I talked up Kyler Murray a lot in games the Cardinals have won and games the Cardinals have lost that he's able to create big plays despite wins and losses. Well, that wasn't the case today. Like for long stretches heading in like for the first through third quarters, this team had like 70 yards of total offense. It was awful. He did finish 19 of 34, 163, zero touchdowns and an interception. Did have a rushing touchdown, but Okay, we talked about how the Rams' offense could function. Why didn't the Cardinals' offense function? This was really surprising to me. I thought we were going to get the Rams kind of deflated on defense after getting slashed by Lamar Jackson last week. And not that Kyler Murray is Lamar Jackson, but they they win in similar-ish ways. Um, So I was not expecting the Cardinals to just look really unwatchable. Um, Kyler Murray saved his day with a garbage-time rushing touchdown. But to me, his hamstring was kind of limiting him but that was not the excuse they just played bad these rookie games are going to come in every once in a while I don't think it's too much to get too concerned over Um, but this was probably Kyler's worst game of the year maybe some of those first games but uh, it was a step back we were nervous that Christian Kirk wouldn't get a lot of volume and he didn't he did get seven targets but just three receptions 23 yards I'm assuming he drew Jalen Ramsey in this matchup he did okay he did that That was was bad Did, did Chase Edmonds play because Kenyon Drake, 13 carries, 31 yards. David Johnson, four carries, 15 yards. And then Chase Edmonds was like the wild card that we don't know what's going to happen when he gets involved in this backfield again. Yeah, I didn't see Chase Edmonds. He didn't show up on the box score. Um, it was definitely Kenyon Drake leading the way, 13 carries, um, five targets. He didn't do anything with them. Um, David Johnson just snuck in there for four, four carries and two targets. It's really going to be Kenyon Drake the rest of the way um I guess I would hold on to David Johnson if I owned him in redraft but I wouldn't expect anything to to change moving forward and then yeah Chase Edmonds was not involved at all really so I would I would be safe uh, in dropping him on the road in snowy New Jersey the Green Bay Packers improved to nine and three as they beat the New York Giants 31 to 13 Ian Harditz had that game for us Ian this seems like a vintage Aaron Rodgers' performance. We know how Rodgers have had some some valleys this year in terms of fantasy production. Well, today he was 21 of 33, 243 yards, and four touchdowns, no sacks, and some of those big throws down the field that we are accustomed to seeing from AR-12. Yeah, exactly. He had Allen, uh, uh, it seemed like his main deep threat was Allen Lazard. He had only three targets, but was able to convert those to 103 yards, ch- uh, two different chunk plays over 30 yards. And we saw Devontae Adams uh, pretty much get open at well. And then Rodgers even had one play on the goal line, his last touchdown to Mercedes Lewis, where he pretty much had a defender 
draped all over him the whole time. So you said it, it was, it was vintage Rogers in the, in the snow. The only difference was it wasn't at Lambeau. Uh, the big kind of, I guess, takeaway from this Packers offense is, man, like you talk about unlucky games, it kind of goes beyond the box score. And that's what Aaron Jones had himself today. Got stopped inside the one-yard line on two separate occasions, and then had a touchdown nullified by penalty. So uh, disappointing, uh, again, for the run game. But, yeah, man, I mean, Aaron Rodgers in the passing game, as long as they're moving the ball like this, they're not going to have too many problems. Obviously, it was against the Giants. And, you know, we we were talking after last week's uh, kind of letdown performance that, hey, they got the Giants this week, the Redskins next week. So let's try to keep in mind that this offense really hasn't been moving the ball all that well in the second half of the season. But, hey, for today, it was more than, more than enough. Yeah, you look at the scoreboard, 31-13, to thir- 13, and you think this is like positive game script throughout for the the Packers, and it's not because I think heading into the fourth quarter, it was just 17 to 13. And the running game just hasn't gotten going here, especially for Aaron Jones. Just 11 carries for 18 yards, uh, four catches for 13 yards. Look, if the Giants are good anywhere, it's stopping the run. Um, but it seems like Alan Lazard is that option, that second option. So many of us drafted Geronimo Allison, so many of us drafted MVS, but other than Devontae Adams, who had six for 64 and two touchdowns, I mean, Alan Lazard just three catches, but 103 yards and a score. You mentioned the nice defensive matchup that the Packers have next week. You know, first round of the fantasy playoffs, not the craziest thing to start someone attached to Aaron Rodgers. I think he's the only guy, you know, obviously other than Jones and um, Devontae Adams, even Jamal Williams to an extent. I think Lazar is the only guy we really can have uh, exposure to. It's it's still risky. I mean, he's still a boomer bust play for sure. Only three targets today. But with that said, I mean, as I said, with those uh, chunk plays, like the targets he is getting are very fantasy friendly at this point. I mean, Marquez Valdez-Scantling was kind of like their deep threat to start the year, but he's just kind of been completely replaced from the rotation. But, by uh, Lazard and Jordan Allison still gets a couple of targets a game. He had a nice uh, conversion on fourth and 10 today, but he's just not seeing any type of target share uh, to warrant fancy considerations. So yeah, against that Redskins, I mean, look, we're getting Aaron Rodgers at home in December. Uh, this was his first game with uh, multiple touchdown passes in a few weeks. And, you know, I, I think he'll keep that streak going next week against Washington. Let's look at the Giants side of this equation. Uh, Saquon Barkley, 19 carries for 83 yards, just a long run of 16. He just doesn't seem to have that juice. I know I um, mention it every single week, but he's a back that tends to lean on those long gains, and he's just not going to rack up those 30, 40, 50-yard runs with the injury he's probably carrying um, week in and week out. He did have a 27-yard reception, three catches, 32 yards. Um, Do you want to mention Daniel Jones here? Can I look in the mirror for a second? Because, Ian, it's it's a situation where, I mean, Daniel Jones, sure, he has thrown a lot of touchdown passes this season. But I believe in, like, his last six games, it's five interceptions, like, 12 total fumbles. It's a situation right now where, and I'm sure you can say this watching this game, there are some really positive plays he makes, like, really good throws. Then he has like a complete lack of spatial awareness around him and either loses a fumble because of pressure and disruption that he kind of accepts on his own because he holds the football too long and try to make plays. Or he has like ludicrously awful decisions and throws. And he had two of those today. But on either case, like if he has a good play, if he has a bad play, he seems to totally forget about it the next series and just go on like it's the first series of the game all over again. I think you just described it perfectly, man. I mean, you 
I was watching him the first quarter. He was doing a lot of good things, you know, hanging in the pocket, making throws under pressure. His touchdown to Sterling Shepard was beautiful. I mean, he had a couple, you know, he had uh, Darius Slayton on a deep out. Like, you know, I wrote down three or four plays to go back and just watch the all 22 uh, film view because it's going to be beautiful to see. I mean, he, again, he can win from the pocket and he shows that he can do that for stretches. But yeah, the problem is like, it's just for stretches and then we get a backbreaking turnover. That's also become, uh, you know, kind of a weak, weak, the occurrence. So I saw uh, Shermer after the game was noting that, hey, at least uh, the turnovers were just interceptions and not fumbles, which was a pretty uh, gl- glass half full way of looking at things. But I do think, I mean, as a whole, you got to feel somewhat good about kind of the future and how Daniel Jones is doing. Obviously, you know, he could probably have a little more offensive line help. I know the O-line was playing a little better earlier in the season, but I think they've kind of regressed back to more of the talent level of the overall group as the year's gone on. Obviously didn't help not having a golden Tate out there today, but you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things like, yeah, 240 yards on 37 attempts and three interceptions. Like none of that's absolutely great, but you know, he's at, he's, it was an entertaining uh, 18 point loss from Daniel Jones. And I appreciate him for that. If you like eliminate everything about them except for their resume, resume, he checks out very similar to Jameis Winston right now, right? Like he's putting up touchdowns, he can put up yards, but he just has these backbreaking turnovers. And it remains to yeah. be seen that if a young quarterback can eliminate that style of play, and we really haven't seen it from Daniel Jones in these consecutive losses that the Giants have racked up, but maybe that does change in, week, in year two. Maybe it does change in year three, but it'll be certainly interesting to watch. But Darius Slayton is definitely a player. Uh, six catches, 44 yards, and Sterling Shepard added three catches for 40 yards and a touchdown in this game. All right, should we go to your other game? Your other game was the Los Angeles Chargers losing in very Chargers fashion <laughs> to the Denver Broncos. Um, let's start with Drew Locke, you know, another rookie quarterback. In this game, completed 18 of 28, 134 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Uh, take us through his game today. He made some things happen. I mean, his, the first touchdown he threw was to Cortland Sutton in uh, the the right uh, corner of the end zone, but it was it was more just an incredible catch by Sutton. I mean, contested coverage with Casey Hayward right on his hip, but he reached out one-handed, was able to come down. But the second one, I mean, Locke was able to actually extend the play a little bit and hit uh, Sutton with a strike after he was kind of running. Almost even could have had a third touchdown because Deshaun Hamilton had one of the worst drops you'll ever see on a wide-open slant. I'm not sure if he would have scored, but either way, it was going to be a nice little chunk play to add on. So he did show that, you know, his guy's got a heck of an arm and he can make any throw on the field. Showed a little bit of athleticism. He's not a guy that's going to run for 50 yards a game or anything like that, but he's not a complete statue in the pocket. It was just kind of too far and, you know, in between that we saw those flashes. I mean, definitely, you know, kind of a rookie performance, only 4.8 yards per attempt uh, outside of those two first quarter scores. And then kind of when he got things going a little bit more in the fourth quarter, what wasn't too much to like, his interception was pretty terrible over the middle of the field. Uh, I wasn't quite sure what he was thinking there. But overall, I mean, hey, he got the win. First start, obviously this guy's barely had any time to practice with the team. So I think you, especially after, you know, a pretty underwhelming preseason, you at least got to feel pretty good about him moving forward. And Cortland Sutton remains just an absolute baller. Only five targets. He did have four receptions, 74 yards, and like a diving touchdown. He also had another touchdown. And then also drew like the game-winning defensive pass interference penalty. Um, he's just he's just fantastic. Uh, on the other side, I mentioned this was vintage Chargers because they go down, tie the football game, with like less than a minute to go, and then give up that DPI. Meanwhile, Phillip Rivers, 20 of 29, 265, two touchdowns, and an interception. 
Is this kind of, you know, the norm here for Phillip Rivers? Like he does a couple positive things like that throw to Mike Williams on that fourth and 10, but also some awful declining play, arm strength, velocity, arm talent, whatever you want to call it. It, it just seems like we're seeing the worst of Phillip Rivers right now. Yeah, I mean, he, to his credit, he really turned it on kind of from the second quarter on in this game because his first interception was just awful. It was actually picked off by uh, Draymond Jones' defensive lineman. And then from there, like, Tyrod Taylor was getting warmed up on the sideline. I'm not sure really? if the coach totally warmed up or if Tyrod took matters in his own hands. But, you know, they, they kept showing Tyrod, and it was kind of a, you know, everyone was tweeting out Philip Rivers back on the field. Like, it was looking that dire. And with the pregame report, that they would be willing to uh, bench him if, you know, things keep going south. You know, it was looking like a situation where we could see Tyrod out there. But he ended up recovering. Um, his two touchdowns, like Eckler for 30 yards, Keenan for 36 yards, both of them were a little more blown coverage than, like, beautiful passes or anything like that. But I don't know. I, I don't think Rivers is necessarily, like, the reason they're losing all these games. Obviously, today the defense blew it with that long pass interference after he was able to tie the game up. But at the very least, I mean, the days of seeing Rivers, you know, go for – three, four hundred plus and multiple touchdowns and just kind of consistently marching the offense down the field. They seem to be a little bit over. And the only kind of other frustrating thing I take away from this Chargers offense, like no one even had over seven targets in this game. And mm-hmm. Mike Williams, 117 yards, uh, Keenan, 68 yards and a touchdown. Eckler, 51 yards and a touchdown. Like these guys are good enough to make the most of it. But then we have Hunter Henry sitting there with only two catches for 10 yards. So it's a crowded offense in L.A., you know, and they're four and eight and they don't have the highest scoring offense in the league. So these guys, they're talented, but they got to make the most of their opportunities because there's like five guys that warrant a good amount of touches in any single week. And the repeat performance of the primetime game that we saw a fiasco happen at the end. Miles Garrett swinging helmets. Mason Rudolph chasing defensive linemen, Larry Ogunjobi chasing down quarterbacks. The Pittsburgh Steelers come out on top in this one, 20 to 13 at home to improve to seven and five in the season. That's actually surprising. John Daigle had that one for us. I guess we should start with the Steelers side of this. We know that Devlin Hodges replaced Mason Rudolph heading into this game. He was 14 of 21, 212 yards, a touchdown and an interception, but most of those went to James Washington, who had four catches on four targets, 111 yards, and a touchdown. Are we seeing a James Washington breakout performance so far? I think we are because the one thing we are guaranteed without Mason Rudolph, and it's a lot of things, but one thing guaranteed with Hodges under center is a propensity to throw downfield. It's not a good ball per se, but at least he's giving his receivers opportunities. And it's the, it's the hunting narrative come true, Josh. These dudes went a duck hunting together <laughs> midweek. They've apparently done it before, and now it's shown with James Washington, um, who's averaged over five targets a game in his last five contests, and more importantly has developed a deep ball rapport with Hodges, who just gives them a chance. He scrambles. He runs around. Um, in typical Steelers fashion, Steelers-Browns fashion, I should say, it was uh, Freddie Kitchens who wore that shirt on Saturday, I believe it was, that said Pittsburgh started it. Cleveland got out to a 10-point lead, but then it was obviously Pittsburgh who finished it because then they scored 20 unanswered because the joke of the Browns' is, uh, 2019 season just continues. Yikes. Uh, I guess one hunting trip replaces like 3,000 yards at Oklahoma State that Mason Rudolph and James Washington uh, shared together. Um, and this was without, we need to point out, this was without Juju Smith-Schuster. This is out James Conner. This is a demoralizing loss 
for the Cleveland Browns, a team that if they had won out, had a chance of going to the playoffs. And, you know, their schedule was quite easy, including this game. But one, the Steelers defense won out. And two, Baker Mayfield had a chance to lead a game-tying drive at the end of the game, it seemed like. And he just didn't do it. And on the day, he just wasn't good. 18 of 32, 196 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. There have been some high moments for the Browns in recent weeks, but this kind of recalls back to the early part of the season, Daigle, where the Browns just lost all hope offensively. First of all, to be fair, as someone who's done both, you are much closer to another man in a duck blind than you are in a college <laughs> shower. But moving on to the Browns offense, yeah, it's just Baker Mayfield was good those first two possessions. Uh, he started the game, I believe it was 9 of 12, and then afterwards ju- he then went 1 of 10. Um, over his next 10 attempts and that did include a hard hit from Bud Dupree who when you watch this game was just everywhere behind the Browns line of scrimmage but also included him hit banging Dupree's helmet on a follow-through in a throwing motion and perhaps spraining or breaking his finger or wrist we're not sure but out of the way he went to the tunnel early just one play early and then came back out with a glove over his hand and on the next drive fumbled the ball Uh, Look to Jarvis Landry, though, because the Jarvis Landry season and trusting him just continues, whereas Odell Beckham now, he's six straight games without 100 yards, the first time he's ever done that stretch in his career. He has gone under 30 yards receiving in three games this season, which is just absolutely abhorrent, Just, just terrible for someone you drafted in the top five in his position. And it just it just continues trickling down because yeah this this passing offense outside of Landry you just can't trust anyone. Nick Chubb had 58 yards and 16 carries, also added a 21 yard reception. Uh, Kareem Hunt had 46 yards on the ground and 19 in the air, including a touchdown. Uh, just jumping back, and no one playing like Hopscotch, but jumping back to the Steelers side. Um, Benny Snell was the one who led the backfield with 16 carries. Jalen Samuels had seven after that, and he took it for 63 yards. Snell did for a touchdown. Um, look, the Steelers have the Cardinals coming up, the Bills coming up, the Jets coming up. People are still looking for running backs probably for their fantasy playoffs. I don't think Billy, Benny Snell is like a above-average talent, but if he's getting the ball with this type of workload, it's, I guess, someone we have to pay more attention to. I don't think he is either personally, but the fact is, one, it comes down to James Conner availability. That's right. all this depends on. And then two, uh, Benny Snell the past two weeks, he has handled – 10 carries inside the 20 like 10 in two weeks that's huge he has the touchdown equity over Jalen Samuels who did get the start who did get the team's first backfield touch but if you're just playing the touchdown or bust game the same you're doing with uh with Sonny Michelle and to a much lesser extent Peyton Barber then you just have to throw Benny Snell in that mix if James Connor's out again on the other side though that backfield's the interesting one right because yes Chubb is out carried Kareem Hunt 84 to 25 in their last four games together since Hunt joined the team in week 10. But it doesn't matter because Hunt's now averaging 6.2 targets a game. And Hunt has 25 catches in four games, whereas Chubb is 31 and 12 this year. So Hunt is still a weekly RB3 flex option with RB1, RB2 upside because you just want that golden ticket receiving role. And he gets that every single week. Whereas even when Chubb was without Hunt, Recall, it was always Dontrell Hilliard and Dearness Johnson. It's a tough one, right? Because the next two weeks, as I mentioned at the top, Arizona Cardinals away, 
uh, is the second game. And the first one coming up next week is the Cincinnati Bengals. Those are two matchups that you want to play all these Browns. But coming off a performance like this, when basically no one delivered other than Jarvis Landry and Kareem Hunt, it might be a difficult one uh, moving on. If you play MLB Fantasy, we have a great deal for you. If you purchase the MLB Draft Guide and Season Pass for $35, you get the 2019 NFL, NHL, and NBA Season Passes for free. And if you're looking for the added edge for the fantasy playoffs and looking to dominate in baseball as well, the deal is for you. It's a $99 value. And if you play DFS, if you pre-order the MLB Draft Guide Season Pass and DFS Toolkit, that's $130. You get the 2019 NFL, NHL, NBA season passes and DFS toolkits for free. That's four sports, season passes, draft guides, toolkits for like 300 bucks off. So go to rotorworld.com slash win to check out all of those premium products. All right, I'll also be covering the Eagles loss to the Miami Dolphins. 37 to 31 in Miami, super high scoring, 168 total points. This improves the Dolphins to 3-9 and nine and drops the Eagles to 5-7. and seven. It's kind of shocking to even consider how the Dolphins won this game considering the opening snap, Ryan Fitzpatrick threw an interception. Then that led to a Miles Sanders receiving touchdown. It kind of is how we all expected, right, that the Eagles were going to dominate the Dolphins not so fast. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick ended the day 27 of 39, 365 yards, three touchdowns, and interception, and so much of it went to Devontae Parker, who's just having a magnificent season. Ten targets, seven receptions, 159 yards, and two touchdowns. He mossed cornerbacks at least four times in this game. Two on Ronald Darby, two on Jalen Mills. Just these elevated, contested catch shots that Ryan Fitzpatrick trusted his wide receiver to win. That's where the placement was, and because Parker is taller, because his vertical is higher, he just gained better position and went up and got those passes. It was outstanding to watch. And you add on Mike Kosicki, who basically did the same thing in the id zone. Seven targets, five receptions, 79 yards, and a touchdown himself. Look, Ryan Fitzpatrick is like the perfect quarterback for whatever Miami is trying to do this year because he has these fun, entertaining episodes, and this was one of them today. On the Eagles side, I mean, Carson Wentz wasn't all that bad. 28 of 46, 310, three touchdowns, and an interception. Look, if you put up 31 points on an NFL team, you should expect to win the game, right? The Eagles' defense was just awful in this contest. The corners went back to being dreadful, like they were previous to injuries, prior to injuries. The pass rush kind of was there. It was kind of getting home. But then Fitzpatrick was just able to have these Houdini-esque escapes, throw even when contacted and all those 50 50 balls were really 90 dolphins 10 eagles alshon jeffrey returned in a big way 16 targets let me repeat that 16 targets to alshon jeffrey nine receptions 137 yards and a touchdown a lot of people were concerned about zach Ertz because he didn't practice all week while only amassed to six targets three receptions and 24 yards in fact Dallas Goddard had a much bigger day six receptions 66 yards and Miles Sanders did have 83 yards in the ground and again a touchdown in the air to go along with 22 yards two notes before I wrap this game up one major credit to Chris Greer and the Miami staff for basically adding in a team option for the two-year deal that Devontae Parker signed this summer 
if he didn't have a big year, this was going to be a, a one-year contract for Parker. While in 2019, he's having a career season, and so right now they're on the hook for just $5 million in 2020. And at age 27 during that season, if Devontae Parker can continue to build on this, and he is so far, it could be a bargain of a contract for the rebuilding Dolphins. And while the Eagles lost, and this is their third loss in a row, bringing them to 5-7, and seven, it honestly doesn't matter in the playoff hunt because the only games that matter are the four upcoming on the Eagles' schedule against the Giants, the Redskins, the Cowboys, and the Giants again. All four inside their division, and if the Eagles win all four, they're in the playoffs. Again, not likely. They're in a three-game losing streak, but they still have a shot at the playoffs if they can win all four of those matchups. In the battle for Florida, yep, we're calling it that now, uh, the Bucks beat the Jaguars 28-11. to Nick Menzio had this game for us. Let's talk about the Bucks later. First, focus on the Jaguars, because at halftime, the team made a change. After Nick Foles went 7-14 for 93 yards and a pick, along with at least one fumble that was awful near his own goal line, uh, Gardner Minshew steps in. Didn't do great, but he did complete 16-27, 147 yards, and a touchdown and a pick of his own. Uh, Nick, what did you see the difference when Minshew came in the ballgame versus Nick Foles? Because at least to me, this should have been the decision that they made after Foles' first start. I mean, first and foremost, you saw like just the energy level for the teammates around him. Just It seemed to spark, give the team a spark a little bit. He led them to a, a first his first drive of the second half. He led them to a field goal. Uh, they also had a touchdown drive to D.D. Westbrook. Um, but Minshew's... Uh, through a red zone pick or an end zone pick, I should say, from his own three yard line late in the game. I mean, it didn't matter. The game was pretty much out of reach anyway. But I mean, Minshew just has the athleticism. He can move. He can escape pressure. Foles, as we know, is a statue in the pocket. Um, if if things aren't perfect around him, he struggles. Uh, Minshew, like we've seen all year, he, he can create on the run. He can create moving around in the back, of the, moving around in the pocket, escaping the pocket as well. So I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, they should have stuck with Minshew all along. This is one, and you've been around football a long time covering it for Roto World. It seems like this is a situation where the coaches and the front office disagree, right? And it seems like the coaches know that Minshew gives them, with the identity that this team has, the best chance for success because the offensive line isn't great. You know, the playmakers seem to thrive outside of structure. And that all points to someone like Garner Minshew who can have comfort in chaos versus Foles, who decision makers like Tom Coughlin, whoever else, paid money to this offseason. They wanted to see what they had. Yet when the game was on the line, when Doug Marone needs wins, he turns back to the player that gives him the best chance to win and Minshew. Am I reading the tea leaves wrong there, do you think? No, I agree 100% with you. I mean, Doug Marone's desperate for wins right now. I don't think any wins. I don't think that he could go undefeated the rest of the season. I still don't think that would save his job. I think they're going to clean house in the offseason coffin hinted kind of at maybe stepping away after this after this season earlier in the week uh, so i just think there's sweeping changes coming in jacksonville but marone's trying to put the best tape out there for himself and and it's pretty pretty evident Minshew gives him the best shot at, at competing in games Leonard Fournette, just 14 carries for 38 yards. He did have nine receptions for 53 yards. D.D. Westbrook was the team's leading receiver with 60 yards and a score. D.J. Chark was all the way down with just 47 yards. All right, looking at the Bucks side of this, uh, the players who we usually count on to make plays did very little in this one, Nick. Uh, Brashad Perryman led the team in receiving yards. Six targets, five receptions, 87 yards. And second behind him, 
was O.J. Howard for 61 yards. Nick, what happened with Jameis Winston to Chris Godwin? What happened to Jameis Winston to Mike Evans in this game? This was just a fantasy nightmare game from like all aspects. I mean, fantasy players are playing a lot of Leonard Fournette. A lot of Amy Ronald Jones was even uh, talked about this week as a, as a start. Um, he had six carries for eight yards, no targets in the passing game. Blew a blitz pickup in the third quarter. Never saw the field after that. Um, Mike Evans was missed on a 48-yard wide open touchdown. That oh, should no. have been an easy score down the field. But he he had a double move on AJ Boye. Um, AJ Boye fell down. Nobody around him, but Winston overthrew him by like 10 yards. I think it was just not even close. But he should have had that touchdown. Turned his 11 targets into just four catches for 53 yards. Um, Perriman entered this game with a season high of 44 yards. So, I mean, nothing went right from fantasy perspective in this game. This was Winston's first game of the season without a touchdown as well. So, uh, I'm expecting these guys to bounce back next week against the Colts. I mean, I think this is just like an outlier type situation. Yeah, no touchdowns, no interceptions for Jameis Winston. Very unlike him. Did have a fumble loss, so at least we can count on him for that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, this is just – and you mentioned that Ronald Jones didn't see the field after a blitz pickup assignment that he missed – uh, Bruce Arians basically said the exact same thing in his press conference that, yeah, if you don't pick up your assignment, you're not going to play. So shout out to Rich Rebar. Don't tell me I'm wrong in that regard. All right. And Peyton Barber had 44 yards and two touchdowns. So that just encapsulates how bad this performance was all around. Um, should we move to the other game? I guess there's nothing to talk about in the other one. Um, the Kansas City Chiefs absolutely dominated the Oakland Raiders 40 to nine. Uh, this was a important game for the Chiefs to win at home. Obviously, it's inside the division, but also because the Chiefs have a tough upcoming schedule. Uh, Patrick Mahomes wasn't really needed. I mean, 175 yards and a touchdown in the air and just 15 completions. He also ran in a 13-yard run for a touchdown. But this game was in hand from the start. At, at one point, the Chiefs, I believe, were up 31 to nothing. What did you see from this performance? Because this is back-to-back awful games from the Oakland Raiders. Yeah, Mahomes threw a touchdown to Daryl Williams to get the game started, ran one in for a second score, 14-0, and then the Chiefs had a pick six of Derek Carr to put him up 21-0. So it was quickly over. I mean, the Raiders never competed in this game, but they did score a touchdown this week. Progress from last week. They still lost by 31 points exactly like they did last week against the Jets. So, I mean... Everyone was hyping the Raiders a couple weeks ago when they barely beat the Bengals at home and went to six and four um, and won seventeen to ten over the Bengals, and they go out on the road and get just annihilated by the Jets and Chiefs. So, doesn't look like a playoff team to me. Um, but a very important game next week against the Titans. So, um, Josh Jacobs looked awesome in the first half. He had ninety-five rushing yards at the half. Wow. Obviously, obviously with uh, the Raiders trailing by 30 plus points in the second half he never saw the field really because he has a minimal pass game role so finished with nine rushing yards in the second half so i don't know disappointing game from him all things considered um but i expect him to bounce back next week at home against the titans so i'm looking forward to that game for him speaking of backfields there's a big development for the chiefs darrell williams left with like a non-contact leg injury um and he was the one in that backfield that had a touchdown early was a receiving touchdown uh, meanwhile you had LaShawn McCoy with just five carries for 10 yards. He also scored a touchdown. Um, We know that Damian Williams missed this game. And then out of nowhere, Darwin Thompson, who a lot of us loved in the preseason, pops up for 11 carries or 44 yards and a score when this game was completely out of hand. It's it's an offense we want attachment to, right? We we, we want exposure to this offense. 
Uh, is it just one we have to wait on the news that we have to just guess on how it's going to unfold because they're dealing with a lot of injuries and Darwin Thompson certainly a talent that they're just benching right now. Yeah, I thought it was pretty notable. I mean, him and McCoy were healthy in the fourth quarter after Williams had that. That was just a weird looking injury. He like stepped in the turf really awkwardly and his like knee or his leg hyperextended and he limped off the field and like crumbled on the sideline. So he's looking like he's going to miss next week against the Patriots. Damien Williams didn't practice at all last week. So he's, I mean, completely up in the air. I mean, we're just going to have to play the guessing game here. Just, I mean, just the matchup is so bad next week in yeah. New England against their that awesome defense. So it's in the first round of the fantasy playoffs too. Yeah, I exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to get on board with any of these running backs, but like you said, we want pieces of this offense. It's just, Mahomes has back-to-back career-low passing yards games, too. I mean, they've won these games pretty easily, but, I mean, that's pretty notable. I mean, last year when you're seeing the Chiefs win 40-9, you're like, oh, my God, Mahomes had, like, four touchdowns probably, but hasn't been the case this season. Yeah, Travis Kelsey just 90 yards receiving. He was the team's leader on five catches. Tyreek Hill only had eight targets, five receptions, 55 yards, a long reception of 17, which is very unlike him. And Sammy Watkins just did what Sammy Watkins does and puts up a big fat zero across the board. Um, Okay, Derek Carr quickly, let's end it here. Because this is someone who's like, at his best, just an efficient passer. Um, I thought one of his interceptions was absolutely awful. It was a pick six to Juan Thornhill. Uh, He was 20 of 30. 222 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Leading receiver was Darren Waller, seven receptions, 100 yards. Where does this Raiders team go right now? Because they are one and five away from home. They are six and six on the season, and they go to the Tennessee Titans next. They could very well have a below 500 record and a loss, a three-game losing streak after that performance. I mean, I think they're they're coming back home against the Titans, aren't they? They are. They are. Yeah, so, I mean, I like that spot as a bounce back. I mean, Derek Carr is just such an awful fantasy quarterback, but, like, he's been probably – he's having his best year. If He's having his best real life year this year. If I mean, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago, but he's he's trying to get their two really bad games back-to-back. So, it kind of puts – dampers the expectations a little bit going into the Titans game. But I think he can bounce back with his classic 240, 250 yards, two touchdowns, one interception kind of game. It's just not going to help you in fantasy, but – I mean, I think the Raiders can definitely win that game against the Titans. So not expecting a whole lot, but I think he can he can game manage his way to a victory. The Tennessee Titans, in comeback fashion, go into Indianapolis and win 31-17 to to improve to 7-5 and on the season, which also brings the Colts to 6-6. Six and six. This is an important game, possibly a playoff eliminator. Jesse Pantusco had it for us. Uh, Jesse, I will tell the story a little bit here because the Titans were down 17-3 to at one point, then go and score 28 unanswered points. How did that happen? Because I keep saying it now lately, Tennessee Titans are kind of a fun football team. Yeah, absolutely. And this win improved them to 5-1 and one since Tannehill supplanted Marcus Mariota as the starting quarterback, and he had another solid game. He did lose a fumble, but he threw a couple touchdowns, including a, a 40-yard dagger to Khalif Raymond with about three minutes left in the fourth quarter to sort of put the game on ice. But I think the real story was Derrick Henry once again ran a rush to, for 100 yards for the third straight game, topped 1,000 yards rushing for the season, a feat he also achieved last year. He did fumble again, actually on his very first play from scrimmage, and that's becoming a bit of a concern. He, he's now lost three fumbles, um, one in each of the last two weeks, and now and five on the season. But when he gets going in the open field, he's just – so so big and so fast and so hard to bring down 
his touchdown in the second half was sort of a, a tide turner or momentum boost for, for Tennessee after they'd been struggling for a little bit. It was on fourth down and one. He just basically bullied his way into the end zone from 13 yards out. And, you know, that was that's started the Titans on their way, and they, they pulled it off. Yeah, and Ryan Tannehill finished 17-22 for the day, 182 and two touchdowns. Doesn't seem like too much production, but I think a big part, you mentioned Derrick Henry. I would also say Jacoby Brissett picked a bad time to have a bad time. I mean, here, here was the scenario, right? You mentioned a big run from Derrick Henry. Uh, then the Titans were able to be pick off a Jacoby Brissett pass that just was sailed on the wide receiver. Um, then they hit a field goal to bring it 17-17. Then they go and block a field goal, which was a major momentum shift. And then Jacoby Brissett overthrew another interception. Um, so, look, I, I think Jacoby Brissett has had, like, multiple games where he's made, like, outstanding plays basically out of nothing. And so much of the team is being played inside of structure. Yet when Jacoby Brissett right now without really T.Y. Hilton on the field, without Marlon Mack on the field, can't have these mistakes. And the two interceptions he threw were absolute backbreakers. And that doesn't even go as far as to say that a field goal block for six, it, these are just mistakes that the Colts can't overcome right now. Yeah, you touched on how shorthanded the Colts are offensively right now. Hilton Hilton and Mack are the big ones, but Eric Ebron was just placed on injured reserve, a really important player for them last year, scored 13, 14 touchdowns actually. And Paris Campbell didn't play today. There was He had been questionable, so he missed his fourth straight game after undergoing hand surgery. And early in this game, they lost Chester Rogers to a knee injury. So that left them with just Zach Pascal, Marcus Johnson, and Ashton Doolin, who is an undrafted rookie out of Division II Malone University. So I, I, I get that Brissett didn't play didn't play particularly well, especially in the second half when he, he made a couple mental mistakes, sort of overly ambitious on some of these passes he forced into tight windows. But he just sort of doesn't have a lot to work with right now with so many receiving weapons injured for Indianapolis and it doesn't help when Adam Vinatieri is missing three field goals including as you mentioned earlier the one that got blocked and and returned for a touchdown uh quickly before we close with this one um Jonathan Williams the past two games put up over 100 yards rushing in each this game he only saw eight carries for 14 yards meanwhile people thought when Marlon Mack went down Jordan Wilkins might have a hand in this backfield and yes, this is the game he saw more touches, more carries than Jonathan Williams, and it went 11 for 47. Is there any way we know this backfield anymore, or is it just more confusing as we head into the fantasy playoffs? Especially since next week is, is the start of the fantasy playoffs in most leagues. I would try to avoid this at all costs. And it's disappointing because it seemed sort of cut and dry Jonathan Williams came into this game with back-to-back 100-yard rushing performances, seemed to be the post-Marlon Mack workhorse for Indianapolis. He didn't play particularly well in this game, but he basically wasn't used at all in the second half. I'm not sure if he even saw the field in the second half. He had zero touches, uh, only played 16 snaps for the entire game, which was fewer than Naheem Hines, who played 31, and Jordan Wilkins, who played 30. And it was a very uh, sort of a stunning role reversal because Wilkins played just one snap last week, returning from an ankle injury against Houston. 
but he I guess maybe he had the, the sort of the mini buy because they played on the Thursday night. Maybe that gave him a little more time to heal because obviously he led the team in carries and rushing yards and obviously played a much bigger role. I wasn't sure if Jonathan Williams was hurt or if it was game script related because we know he's not really that much of an asset in the passing game and Naheem Hines and Jordan Wilkins are, but it was it was very tilting, I imagine, for fantasy owners who went all in on Williams in a, in a really important week. And it, it seems like they're moving in the direction of a committee. So I just think there's a lot of uncertainty. And it's a situation that I would I would try to avoid, especially in, in the really important part of the fantasy season. That does it for us, ladies and gentlemen. If you made it this far, I know you love the podcast. So consider leaving a rating and review. It really does help us out. And tell one friend, as always, again, we'll be back on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday with more episodes. Talk to you all then. See ya. Have a great week.